Ladies and gentlemen, find me when you wake up. I'm Kent Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barden. And this is Mad About Movies. You sound insane. You realize that? The whole world got crazy. It's showtime. Mad About Movies is your go-to movie podcast for all things concerning the world of cinema. We discuss movie news, movie rumors, and those ever-important movie rumblings, and then we break it on down for our chosen movie of the week. If you do not want to be spoiled, fret not, we will give you ample time before we head into spoiler territory. Make sure you stick around for the end of the show to check out our weekly recommends, and make sure you check out our website at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Brian, this week's chosen movie of the week is... This week we're going to be talking about Tom Cruise and the Edge of Tomorrow. What day is it? Judgment Day. You just came in with the fresh recruits. The invasion will fail, along with every soldier you are sending. We lose everything. Guys, I've been looking forward to this episode for for quite a while. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a summer without a Tom Cruise movie, does it? That's right. Uh, It definitely doesn't feel like a summer without a Fast and Furious movie, but that's another conversation. Mm. Um, Tough, tough summer. Definitely. Definitely tough. Uh, but this is a special week on the Mad About Movies podcast. Uh, we have a special guest joining us this week. Yay! He is the content director for CinemaBlend.com, also columnist for Fandango, contributor to the Washington Post and NBC, and proud parent of two boys. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Mad About Movies podcast, Sean O'Connell. <laughs> Yeah. Yay. Oh, big fan of the podcast. I'm happy to be on it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks for um, taking the time out of your busy schedule, I'm sure, um, and joining us. We're really excited to have you and uh, look forward to your insight on the movie and entertainment business as we get going. But before we move on and talk movie news, rumors, and rumblings, uh, let's take some time to get to know our guest this week. Uh, Sean, why don't you tell us a little bit about your movie history? What kind of movies got you uh, loving movies? That's a great question. Um, I had a, a video store clerk who uh, fed me movies on a weekly basis back when you can go to the video store and rent from like a mom and pop type place. Like this is pre-Blockbuster. Um, and she would week after week just feed me piles upon piles of everything. Uh, and she she fed me westerns and horror movies and, and film noirs and old romantic comedies and and just made sure I watched a little bit of everything. And so I always sort of thank her for opening up my eyes to everything that's out there. But, um, you know, my earliest film memories were going to a double feature with my uh, parents to go see Superman 2 and Clash of the Titans. And I remember uh, being home from school with chicken pox in fifth grade. And my aunt and uncle let me borrow the laser discs of uh, Dirty Dancing. And... <laughs> What was the other one that they gave? They gave me Dirty Dancing and then something that was like, quote unquote, cool. I, I forget what it was. It wasn't Superman 2 also. It was another, like, I, I think it might have been the original Superman. And I went into school after feeling better and raved about Dirty Dancing to all of my friends. <laughs> and then, like, the looks that I got from them, like, that's when I realized, like, oh, you know, having an opinion means, like, it's, it's pretty important to share your opinion to different people. And, and they might not always agree with you. And it might not be what you're supposed to enjoy on the surface level. But, yeah. but damn it, Dirty Dancing is a great movie. So, and right. I recognize that even back in the day. So Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Definitely not an answer we've gotten before on the show. 
Usually oh. it's um, people talking about Star Wars for like 25 minutes, but uh, good, good to know. <laughs> good to know that. Are you a fan of Star Wars? I like Star Wars, sure. I mean, how do you keep a, a job in this industry at this point right now without liking it? Um, <laughs> sure. Sean, Sean and I might be soulmates. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see what they do with it, and I think Abrams is a great choice, but I'm not chomping at the bit for more Star Wars. I, I'm not chomping at the bit for more anything necessarily, but if you're going to feed me the next installment of whatever it happens to be, so long as it's good, I'm on board. Yeah, absolutely. And Sean – before we before we move on and talk movie news, rumors, rumblings, I got to get this out of the way. Um, any relation to Piranha 3D and Scary Movie Five Star Jerry O'Connell? No, <laughs> unfortunately. Although that was kind of fun um, growing up because we were we were the same age. We we're exactly the same. Actually, we we're born very close to each other. Um, I, I actually, want to, and I'm going to look it up now while we're talking about it. We, we my birthday is like February 17th, and I think. His is like February 18th, which okay, is really you need well, to If you interview him, you need to yeah. get, grab a hair off his head and get a paternity test done. Good <laughs> chance. Oh, second. No, this is what's really strange. We have the exact same birthday. It's February 17th, 1974. Wow. We're both 40. Wow. Um, he was born in New York City, uh, and I was born apparently on Long Island, but I'm adopted. And oh. so that's a very strange coincidence. <laughs> But now I was adopted into a family that has the name O'Connell, so that couldn't – it couldn't work out, right? It just doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. We do I don't have- know, but I, I'm not sure, but I'm already writing the script while we're speaking, so I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll send it over for your approval when I get it done. <laughs> it's some version of sliders, I'm convinced. Yeah. We're going to get Rachel McAdams in it, and uh, there will be time travel as well, just to yeah. really top it all off. He's doing better than I am. Not much <laughs> better, but better. Right. Uh, well, without further ado, guys, let's talk a little bit of movie news. Movie news. Yes. Rumors and rumbling. That's awesome. Let the filibustering begin. Uh, Sean, we talked a little bit before you hopped on with us uh, about some potential topics, and uh, the first one you mentioned was the first one we were going to talk about anyway. Uh, Ant-Man finally has a director, and I want to get your thoughts as a movie insider, a professional movie insider. Um, what the heck happened here with Ant-Man? Uh, what do you know about this situation and uh, who they brought on board? That is a great question. Uh, and it's one that we probably won't know the full answer to until like years from now when Edgar Wright's able to speak freely about it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think out of respect to Marvel, he's, he's sort of keeping a lid on it to a certain extent. And this is a really fascinating example of um, those who paid close attention to it being able to see how the sausage gets made. And you totally understand where that phrase comes from because yeah. you don't want to see that and you just want to see the finished product. And if they, if Marvel had said, you know, initially, hey, Peyton Reed is our guy. So Peyton Reed ends up getting Ant-Man after numerous directors allegedly were offered the gig and they all passed on it. Mm-hmm. And these are people from Ruben Fleischer who directed Zombieland to Ross and Thurber to Adam McKay to, you know, and these are the people who have just come out to confirm that they were approached to it. Who knows how many other people were sort of approached on the sly and asked, hey, if you had the chance to direct Ant-Man, you know, would you want to do it? Is, is this something you'd be interested in? And so all those guys passed for various reasons. Oh, Lord and Miller. Well, Lord, no, Lord and Miller, they were off Ghostbusters 3. It's a different one. Um, so they ended up on Peyton Reed. And that's fine because I think that Peyton Reed is a competent director. But it can't not feel like, boy, we didn't get the top five guys that we wanted and we settled on Peyton Reed. And that's kind of an insult to him. But because we saw the process play out, 
that's sort of where we're at. Um, I, I, I don't know what happened with Edgar. And the interesting thing about that is how long he worked on that project. I mean, yeah. he'd been tied to Ant-Man for years and showed up at Comic-Con with the test footage, um, showed up the year before that, I think even just to, to talk about the fact that he was associated with the project. So we hear that he left the project over, you know, rewrites that were forced upon him by the studio. And again, this is the version that we're hearing. No one has really heard it from Edgar Wright yet. But then I don't get now what that means because they say Adam McKay is is you know co-writing it or or taking on a new pass at the screenplay. And I don't get what that means if if Marvel delivered a script that Edgar didn't agree with. How come Edgar couldn't stay on and, and do the version that, that Adam McKay is now tinkering with? Uh, mm-hmm. We still just don't know all of these things that are unanswered, and it's it's been a fascinating sort of roller coaster ride story. I kind of wonder if uh, if the whole Adam McKay piece isn't some sort of compromise to keep Rudd on board, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Worked, this, this is somebody he's worked with, so he probably threw a little hissy fit, and they're like, how can we make, it, make him happy, you know, or something like that. I think it also speaks to the tone that they they definitely want this to be a comedy. And maybe Paul mm-hmm. Rudd said, we have to make this funnier than what you're giving me. Because you know Marvel wants um, set up for the, you know, phase three of the next thing of their universe. So they're, mm-hmm. they're interested in all of those references. And Paul Rudd's probably like, this screenplay needs to be punched up and be funnier. Yeah, true. that's true. Um, my thoughts on Adam McKay is, you know, since they offered him the director chair um, – and he's still on board as, um, like you said, one of the writers or the probably the main writer now. Um, he's he's probably like, you know what? I really want to be involved in this, but if it doesn't work, I don't want to take all the blame for it not working. So <laughs> yeah. I'll be involved. You know, I'll write the script, and if it works, you know, I'm going to get a lot of praise for that script. But if it doesn't, you know, they're going to go straight to the director and not the writer, probably. On that, well, front. we also don't know like what kind of scale action is going to be involved in Ant Man. Like this isn't Asgard where they needed someone like Alan Taylor to step in and deliver a a Thor level movie. Yeah. Um, maybe it's going to have the type of action that that the Winter Soldier just had, or maybe it's going to be this small scale heist picture, and mm-hmm. someone like Peyton Reed can really handle it. And we we have really no idea of what to expect from Ant Man because we haven't seen a previous one. Yeah. Well, if it's if it is a heist, it's really a shame, Lily Lettier. You know, didn't get a pass at it. <laughs> Turns out uh, the Hulk was the guy the entire time. <laughs> I was wondering how long it would take us to get around. So now you see me. <laughs> we made it like twelve minutes. So that, that's, that's a record. A record. Yeah. That is a record. Uh, Brian, any thoughts on Peyton Reed uh, joining the director as the director of Ant Man? You know, when it got passed around, it was the the director of Yes Man, and that made me cringe a little bit. Um, but yeah. I, Look, his IMDb, he's got some decent stuff. The Breakup is a surprisingly okay yeah. uh, romantic comedy. At least it's original. Um, it is. It's original, and there's there's a there's a few pretty solid bits in there. Uh, he did a, two or three really funny episodes of New Girl. Goodwin Games is a show that like nobody saw, um, but it was really funny for two episodes before Fox canned it. But uh, he's got some chops, so I, I don't know. I'm not super worried about this, and this is like – the one property in the Marvel universe that I look, I really wanted Edgar Wright. And then that whole bit to, uh, to play out the way that we thought it was going to, you know? Um, but I can live with, if Ant-Man sucks, my life's not going to be ruined. Like right. one of the captain Americas or Avengers three or Iron Man seven or whatever like that, that would really upset me. If this, if this stinks, then it's just going to be, okay, well that was a failed bit. And I think they'll be able to, get away with, well, we, we tried something and didn't work out. 
Exactly. Um, Sean, what are your thoughts on Kevin Feige? We were pretty big fans of his for a while, but it seems like in the past couple months, especially, he's gotten sort of a bad name. Um, specifically talking about Captain America, the Winter Soldier, like his only requirement for that movie apparently was, okay, the helicarrier has to crash in this movie to the right. earth. That's it. Um, so it seems like he's sort of forcing his hand on a lot of stuff and saying, okay, that no, this is the way it has to be because this is the way I want it to be. So it seems like that sort of happened with Ant-Man. Um, and Feige was sort of a guy I thought that's like, okay, I'm going to bring on these great directors and just let them do their work and, you know, trust that they'll do the right thing. So what do you think has happened with Feige or do you think he's being sort of too aggressive here or what? Well, I don't think it's all him, to be honest with you. I think yeah. that there are a lot of chefs, quote unquote, that he has to answer to also. And this, the Marvel puzzle has gotten so big. And he's the name that, that we all associate with it. But I don't think that that's fair because he's not the one sitting behind a desk a la the Kingpin making all of these decisions. But he's probably the one that has to be the face of the studio and answer to all of us when things start to go awry. Um I guarantee that the the thing that he's most concerned of is that they have a big picture that he's trying to massage into place. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in the process of doing that, Marvel, in my opinion, and I don't think it's because of him, but I don't think that he fought for, for this to not happen either. Um, it's lost its identity as a place where directors with strong voices can go. Um, yeah. The way that Favreau could initially and the way that Joss Whedon was able to – like I think Whedon's done after Avengers. I don't see him coming back for anything else. And it feels like in order to keep Marvel on this track that you know Feige and, and people above him want to stay on, um, which is a very lucrative track we should point out, um, they're not going to take the kind of chances that they might have initially. And they're going to go with safe casting. They're going to go with you know safe filmmakers who are looking to – to get a big shot, uh, the Russo brothers, you know, being one of them, Peyton Reed being another one. Now, you know, James Gunn sort of flies in the face of that. Mm-hmm. And if, if Guardians really connects, then maybe Marvel will, will loosen up their, you know, not the purse strings because they're not afraid to necessarily spend when they have to. But um, it just feels like they almost – have too big of a of a machine now and they're afraid to tinker too much with it they're going to stick to what works or what seems to be working yeah that's a great point that you made let's talk a little bit of more marvel breaking news uh casting rumors for doctor strange have been floating around the internet uh the names we've seen surface are tom hardy and uh benedict cumberbatch uh as doctor strange um, Sean, have you heard about any more names? Those are the two that you keep hearing uh, recently. Before that, the name that you heard most often was Johnny Depp. Right. Oh. And I heard it from, from enough people who, who were kind of in the know to know that it wasn't just a w- – wouldn't this be funny if this happened? It was really a both sides seemed interested Yeah. and and it could potentially happen. And for so many reasons, especially after Transcendence didn't connect – and Disney hasn't pushed forward with that fifth Pirates yet. God help us if a fifth <laughs> Pirates happened. But wouldn't it be interesting to see Johnny Depp in a role like that? I think it is, that's the kind of casting that could serve both properties because Marvel hasn't needed to hire the A-lister you know, after they got Downey. Um, after that, it's been like – Chris Evans is perfect for Captain America, but people forget like he was the Human Torch or he was in not another teen movie and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Chris Hemsworth, nobody really knew of, 
he's come on strong since you know taking on Thor and Paul Rudd. I mean, Paul Rudd isn't—he's he, been around forever and he's been great in comedies. But you would never hand him a superhero franchise. But Marvel just—they trust their casting and they—they they go with that. So I kind of envision somebody like a. Who are some of the names that were being kicked around for Doctor Strange before? You know, like not C-list, I don't want to say C-list guys, but just guys who have been role players who have been waiting for a shot to carry something yeah. and have maybe had a shot before, but but this is their chance. That, because you, you can always just sell Marvel. You don't have to necessarily yeah. sell the name. Yeah, I would say Depp needs that casting a lot more than Marvel does. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. At this point, definitely. I definitely could see – Benedict Cumberbatch taking this. When I like picture Doctor Strange in my mind, like a movie of it, and then you make the connection with Cumberbatch, it seems like a perfect fit there. But you just don't know where he's going to want to go with his movie career. He has a lot of uh, dramatic potential, I think. Uh, you want to? You don't uh, really know if he's the kind of guy that would commit to a, a trilogy of movies, which is probably what it would be, and then uh, probably you know involvement in the Avengers three. I'm guessing. So uh, it's it's curious to see what happens there. But Richard brought a name to the table this past week that interested me a lot. Uh, Richard, who was that? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> you think I listen to what I say? Yeah, Richard's an idea man, okay? He doesn't have time <laughs> to keep track of them. Well, you you typed it out. Uh, <laughs> and so still. You, the winner of Best Supporting Actor at the last Academy Awards, Jared Leto. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Rumored for this role as well. So I, I kind of see that as not necessarily um, a poor man's Good job but, by me. Well but, <laughs> but a poor man's Depp, you know, he can kind of have that quirkiness that Johnny Depp has, I think, and sort of that strangeness, uh, no pun intended there. But do you know what I mean? Like, I think this character needs sort of uh, an element of strangeness to him. I don't see Tom Hardy as really a strange type character. Does that make sense? Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's a really eclectic, fun actor. Yes. Yeah. But I, I don't know. The whole DC thing, I mean, he was the second lead in the last big DC movie, right? Yeah. Um, oh. And so that's kind of. You know, yeah. <laughs> he was there. <laughs> uh, he wasn't audible, but he was in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, think that, I think that, would, that could work. Um, he, Jared Leto definitely hasn't done something this huge before that I know of. It's, it's just so crazy. Uh, Panic room. Panic room. <laughs> Panic room was good. I like, I like Panic room. I like David Fincher a lot, but, um, it's just crazy that speaking on Ant-Man that these directors, so many people turned it down. It's just so curious to me why that happened. Like Ruben Fleischer. What does he have to lose? <laughs> gangster squad, man. He's riding yeah. high off of it. Yeah. He's got a gangster squad trilogy to work on. So. <laughs> Do you, you know what I mean? Is that the, the screenplay that they looked at is in such shambles? Yeah. Which, yeah, which really concerns me because this thing's due to come out in a year, right? So that seems to be the next shoe that's going to fall. Is that you know they're going to postpone this? Um, it almost feels like they have to at this point. It's just that they have the cast in place and the crew sort of sitting in Atlanta waiting to go. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. And of course, we will keep listeners updated when we know more uh, rumors and uh, rumblings. Getting out of 2015 is not the worst thing in the world. No, absolutely you're not. not. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, move something else up. Like move that Captain America three up, or slot a Thor, or something that has a little bit more stability. Mm-hmm. I think Avengers is going to be enough to hold people for a year. Hopefully, if it's the movie that we we think and hope it should be. Yeah. Um, we are missing the opportunity to come full circle and just cast Jerry O'Connell as Doctor Strange. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, like that's it. intriguing. I like it a lot. 
Make uh, this happen, Marvel. Put in a call for him, uh, Sean. <laughs> so uh, one more thing I want to discuss before we move on and talk Edge of Tomorrow, guys. Uh, you brought this to the table, Sean, before we uh, went on the air here, and it's a really good topic. The summer movie season is almost halfway done, and uh, we've had a lot of really interesting, fun movies this summer. Way funner and more interesting than I had anticipated coming into 2014 after 2013. But box office numbers are not really showing uh, the success that these movies deserve, I believe. So I wanted to talk about why we think no movie has crossed the $200 million mark domestically this year so far. But, Sean, what are your thoughts on this? I know you probably have more, like I said, insider information um, what what do you think has contributed to this downfall in, in box office? Because these movies are fun and good. It's not like we're in a in a, just a totally rotten summer here. Uh, what do you think? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. There's my insider perspective. I'm not <laughs> sure um, because they all of these movies tend to open. They're all opening at almost the same level. Like Amazing Spider-Man Two got 91 million. X-Men 90 million. Godzilla did 93. You know, Neighbors was the only one that that came in at like. It opened at 49. Um, but the, it's been the drop-off in that second weekend for all of these films that's mm-hmm. been the most surprising. Um, they're, they're hitting 55%, 60% drop-off in that second weekend. People are not um, – like word of mouth is not sustaining these films. And part of it is just the competition the next week is so strong. But I also just think that it's pointing to this much bigger problem of – there are these event movies and it almost seems like, you know, there's a group of people that need to see them on the big screen, whether it's Godzilla or it's, you know, something that's in 3D. For me, it was Edge of Tomorrow, you know, had some of the best 3D I've seen since Avatar. And they're coming opening weekend. But then after that, the second weekend, there's too many other options on television or uh, – well, I think TV is the big thing. I think TV is keeping people home, which shows like Fargo and Game of Thrones and yeah. people don't feel the need to get out to the theaters. So – that core audience shows up opening weekend and then you used to see this trickle-down effect of people who would hear these word-of-mouth reviews and they would be checking it out for the next few weeks. I think you're even seeing this in play with something like The Fault in Our Stars, which had a, a stronger-than-expected opening weekend. But I don't think that it's going to sustain – because so far nothing has sustained it. You know, Nothing has really carried over into that second and third weekend. And so normally by now – I'd like to go back and take a look at the numbers. But normally by now you have at least one, if not two, of the movies that have opened in May are over the 200 million mark because they sustain their audiences. And it's become harder and harder for for studios to do that. Yeah, it's just crazy to think that – you know, I mean it was highly anticipated. But two years ago, Avengers opened with $200 million uh, open a weekend. That's crazy to think about now. But like you said, it's just curious to me the uh, word of mouth hasn't spread – on all of these movies, like especially Godzilla or something like that, or um, X-Men to be more specific. Uh, so much fun, those movies. You would expect uh, 30 to 40% drop-off, but over 50% uh, on the second weekend, that's crazy. A lot of these fans you would think would want to go again the week after, right. and uh, you would think that would account for some of that percentage there, but it's just crazy. Uh, Richard, Brian, any thoughts on um, why the box office isn't a uh, success anymore, really? Personally, I think it's the the, con, the uh, congested calendar. I, I I don't have the research in front of me, but I I feel like in years past, you might have like Captain America, Amazing Spider-Man, X-Men, and Godzilla might be spread out over the course of May, June, and July. And instead, we had those basically like 
five, you know, four of those in five weeks, pretty much. It was what it felt like, you know what I mean? And that was, I think that's a little bit of overkill. You get to a point where even if the word of mouth is good, you don't have time to go see that one again because you've got to see the next one in order to stay current, you know, and keep up with, uh, with what we're doing. I, you know, for me, I, I would have gone to see Captain America again and I just never got an opportunity. I definitely would have gone to see Godzilla again, but we had to get into X-Men and everything else that was, that was coming our way. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's maybe that's just personal because I've got a kid now and I'm dealing with that sort of stuff and don't have as much time. But um, this year's calendar to me definitely felt like um, it's all kind of jammed up, especially given that like Fourth of July, there's nothing coming out. Yeah, that we're just like dying to see. I mean, I'm excited about Earth to Echo, but that's not going to be a hundred million dollar opening movie. So uh, it, it's a strange to me. It's just kind of a almost a convoluted summer these these sorts of movies start to just kind of blend together and you don't really have time to let any of them gestate if you will you know we're not going back that far though when people would like camp out in front of a theater for yeah opening weekend and that is so far not the case mm-hmm. you know, it's just this we're way far past that point and it was only a couple of years ago yeah yeah insane yeah it is is crazy after the fourth of july there's really not much. Um, Guardians is in August. Right. And, yeah, uh, the month of July is some studios really missed the boat because, I mean, honestly, the biggest movie of all of July might <laughs> really might be the Brett Radner Hercules movie. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. mean, you're not wrong, especially now. I mean, that Jupiter is. Ascending would have been one of the bigger movies of the month, and we were all really not looking forward to that one. So that's a it's an odd summer. What about? I mean, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes has potential. Yeah, yes, that's yeah, true. that's true. Right about that. Yes, and but, obviously, um, oh, Step Up All In. Obvi- <laughs> I mean, that's just going to crush. Yeah. And Tammy. I mean, pre-ordered already. <laughs> so, hope you guys need to get on that. Um, but yeah, it does seem like the summer movie season is just compressed to May now. Yes. Like, if your movie doesn't come out in May, that it's not going to be successful. It's just crazy. Like, we have Transformers in on June twenty seventh, I believe, and that'll probably make a boatload of money. But it's just like the 4th of July yeah. holiday weekend has been totally abandoned by movie studios as a release right. date. Like Earth to Echo was supposed to be March or February, I think. Right. It and moved up because there was nothing there. Yeah, so there's literally yeah. nothing there. That's just crazy. Like you would think Godzilla would be a perfect 4th of July blockbusters well, holiday movie. But. And Sean brought up Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and I kind of forgot about that one. But I think that's part of this, the reason that Rise of the Planet of the Apes was such a success is because it came out so late in the summer and people had kind of – it had like nothing to go against anymore. You know, It just had uh, – it was wide open because I, th- I feel like 2011 was kind of a similar year where we, we just get so – I don't know. We just get closer and closer to being top-heavy. Um, and don't have much to look forward to as the as the summer goes on, which is a real bummer for us, and I'm sure for you know 14 year old me would be really kind of bummed about all this. Well, there's no event movie that we can point to, like even yeah. Transformers, which is pretending to be the event movie of this season. It's the fourth mm-hmm. one in that franchise, and it's like right. enough is enough. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, next summer we're gonna it's this wealth of options, right? But we have to get there for that, like right now that's. Is anyone excited for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? I mean, you just, you can't, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Just can't. Yeah, he's the only one. Yeah. All right. There might be, that might get some kids. You never really know the kid factor. I don't think Ninja Turtles will be good. Let me just clarify. I just want to see it. (laughs) I don't think it'll be good either, but it may make a ton of money if it hits with, you know, I mean, you guys have kids. I do not, but. Yeah. um, Clint Eastwood, King of Summer, Jersey Boys. You heard it here. 
Yeah. No, I'm excited <laughs> yeah. about Jersey Boys. I saw it last week um, on stage. It was great. Um, but it's just Two funny. words, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Um, the... <laughs> The thing about Ninja Turtles is my favorite part of the trailer is when it says Nickelodeon Films and then it immediately cuts to a guy with an AK-47. Uh, <laughs> classic. Double Dare has gotten pretty extreme. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, man, good talk, guys. And um, it's just crazy. This this summer has been such a fun summer to analyze because, like I said, I didn't anticipate any of these movies to be as fun as they've been. Yeah. And uh, it's just crazy that the audience hasn't responded. And um, on that note, guys, let's move on and talk Edge of Tomorrow. What I am about to tell you sounds crazy. But you have to listen to me. Your very lives depend on it. You see, this isn't the first time that we've had this conversation. Okay. Uh, let's do guest first this week, guys. Sean O'Connell, without going into spoilers, just give us your initial impressions of Edge of Tomorrow. It is everything that we say we want from a summer blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Um, it's smart. It moves like a freight train. Uh, it has unbelievable special effects with big set pieces. Uh, it's carried by someone who people don't want to admit is still a major movie star, but he, yes. Tom Cruise is a major, major movie star, one of the few we have left. Um, and it has a badass female performance by Emily Blunt. Mm. Um, it, it's not setting up uh, the next four movies. It's self-contained. It's funny in all the places it needed to be funny. It's exciting in places it needed to be exciting. It came with all of this pre-hype, um, and it still lived up to the expectations. And so uh, I guess I want to say, of course, people are ignoring it because it's checking off all of the boxes <laughs> of things you want in this season. And I- I'm dumbfounded as to why it's not doing better than it is. Brian Gill. Thoughts yeah. on um, Edge of Tomorrow? Yeah, I think Sean is spot on. This was a uh, – I have been really looking forward to this movie for, for quite a while now. Uh, we love Tom Cruise. I, I, I'm i a huge Tom Cruise fan, and uh, it, I think it's funny. Richard and I have talked about this ad nauseum over the last few years, but and I'm, I don't know. We've probably mentioned it on the pod before, but it cracks me up how – little regard people give Tom Cruise, just like the general public just does not want to like him. Um, kind of like what you said, Sean. And it's, uh, it's kind of dumbfounding to me. I mean, I know he's a little bit crazy, but everybody in Hollywood is a little bit crazy. Like, um, there's so many similarities between Tom Cruise and Will Smith. It's just Will Smith never got up on the couch at Oprah and freaked out. Like that's, it's a, it's very odd that, we as a as a country just kind of like don't embrace Tom Cruise or or at best begrudgingly do. But I I love the guy and I think I have said before nobody nobody in Hollywood tries harder to make his movie awesome than Tom Cruise does. Um, so this was uh, this was fantastic and it was it was smart. It was. It was really funny. That took me off guard. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't expecting. I laughed more in this than I did in like Neighbors. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, me too. You know, it's uh, it's a really, really solid sci-fi piece. And and as a as someone who has very nerdily trumpeted uh, sci-fi for pretty much my whole life, um, I love the, the the era that we're in in sci-fi. And, and so I I love anything like this that comes along that just adds to um, 
the like the overall uh, approach, the, like almost the canon of good science fiction right now. Um, and this is man, this is really good. And it's right up there. And I think both of the performances are 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 pretty stinking good. So uh, really, really happy with this one. Richard Barton, initial thoughts on Edge of Tomorrow. Well, I, I guess I, I, I'm just going to mirror everything. It's going to be really boring. I love this movie. This might be my favorite movie of the year thus far. Wow. I just thought it was inventive and fun and, you know, not a sequel and not a remake and uh, uh, an original movie. And I think Cruz's performance was his best in quite some time um, in terms of just, you know, he hits all the Tom Cruise notes you expect him to hit and does them very well. And I thought Emily Blunt was fantastic. I really like her personally, but yeah. uh, but I, I never really connected with any of her performances until this. I like the Adjustment Bureau okay, mm. but I really, really liked her as this, as this character. I thought that was a pretty strong female character. And, uh, yeah, I just I, – I, visually, uh, you know, it was actually less kind of shaky cammy than we thought it would be, Kent. Didn't yeah. you think so? Especially I thought from the trailer, like the, the beach battle scenes just looked like shaky cam central. It didn't didn't turn out that way. Yeah, and especially with Lyman's, you know, born identity past. And so I thought it was shot pretty well. Yeah, the script is what really blew me away, though, to Mm -hmm. kind of focus on. Like you said, there's a lot of wit to it. I didn't really know where it was going, uh, even though it has this kind of, everyone said it, but kind of a video game style plot. But it's, yeah, it was a really inventive, and I know it's derivative of the the manga, but uh, it was seemed like a very original take on that kind of summer blockbuster. And it really is a shame it it didn't, do better domestically because there are much worse movies this year that have done better and uh and that's too bad yeah it's a total shame um man that being said though this movie would have been better starring kevin hart (laughs) (laughs) every movie is um man this just has all the makings of a instant freaking cult classic movie um Science fiction boys are just going to love this movie. And I don't know why it, it, it made, like, what, $28 million yeah. uh, opening. And that's that's like just – if your movie is a new movie in the summer and it's not um, just in less than 200 theaters, $28 million is just like, okay, it was in the theaters. Mm-hmm. It just didn't seem to have any buzz or word of mouth, even though the critics were going crazy for this movie. I haven't seen this much love for a standalone movie that's, like, not a um, – not part of an already established franchise on Twitter. Like everyone was talking up this movie. I just couldn't believe it didn't do better, but man, I just, I, my favorite part was the direction here. Um, this movie, like Sean, uh, alluded to it does. It's just a freight train. I mean, there was not one like dull moment in this movie. It doesn't drag at all, at all. Like Godzilla does in moments. Um, yeah. the, the pacing in Godzilla was my main issue with it, but this is just, it's the perfect length. It's like just over an hour. It's like an hour 35 or 40. Um, it was extremely well paced. The secondary characters aren't in it too much. They're not trying to hammer home personalities and storylines that we're not going to care about. Uh, they use uh, them perfectly. Uh, I really enjoyed Katy Perry's performance. I mean, um, Emily <laughs> Blunt's performance in this. Uh, I definitely haven't seen her in something like this before. And uh, Tom Cruise, man, he definitely – he'll do anything for his audience, anything. He will do anything. He will come to your house and get you a cup of coffee if it will help you like his movie. He really he will. He just wants you to like him. He will. And like him, America. The main example of this is like uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. All right, Tom, let's do this uh, scene on the top of the Burj Al Arab in Dubai, the <laughs> tallest building in the world. Um, we'll, get it, we'll get your stunt double in here. And he's like, no, 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 no. No, I'll yeah. do it. 
literally hanging by himself off the freaking <laughs> tallest building with like no harness. He's like, yeah, like I'll, me for no reason. Like no one would know if that was a stunt double. Like no one would care. Or, or you know, there are stunt doubles used all the time. And he's like, no, I got this, guys. <laughs> Have you guys uh, heard the story that Rob Lowe told about Tom Cruise on the set on the outset of the Outsiders? No. It it sums up Cruise perfectly. Um, Rob Lowe was able to do when they were working on the set of The Outsiders when they were all up and comers. Rob Lowe was able to do a backflip off of this wall, like a waist high wall, where he could jump off the top of it and stick the landing. And everybody was impressed. And Cruz tried it once and fell flat, like smack flat on his face, like to the point where people were, where they worried that he either broke his nose or knocked teeth out. And everyone was like, oh, my God, are you OK? And Cruz just brushed everybody off and got back up on the wall and tried it 10 to 15 times until he was <laughs> able to stick the landing. And Rob Lowe said, like, at first, like the first three or four times, everyone was like, oh, my God, that's really cool. He's so dedicated. And by the 10th or 13th time when he was still like landing horribly but not sticking the landing, everyone was like, this is scary. Please, someone stop this robot man. But he finally got on the 15th turn and then he was like. Okay, there did that, you know, and like brushed himself off, and like that—that that was his his ambition and his drive of, I've seen something that someone else can do, and I'm going to keep doing it until I can do it also, and that's his film career. That's that's yeah, what he yeah. does. No, exactly. And uh, he was on the uh, Tonight Show this past week promoting Edge of Tomorrow, and Jimmy Fallon was talking to him. He's like, "So that exoskeleton you're wearing, man, that thing is intense." And he's like, "What was it like? Is that actually you wearing that thing?" He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's me." He's like, what? What is that like? He's like, it weighs about ninety pounds. Uh, and he's like, well, why don't you just get a foam suit? And, and, and no one would know. He's like, well, we didn't. We want it to be as realistic as possible. Yeah, with this. I would know. Like anyone's gonna know that it's a painted foam suit and not actual metal. But Tom Cruise insisted. No, guys, make it ninety pounds. And he's running around in a freaking ninety pound suit and. It's awesome. <laughs> he's 51. Is he 51, I think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And probably 94 pounds. Like that yeah. thing's probably only four pounds <laughs> yeah. than he is. Yeah, seriously. Um, but let's talk about uh, some of the plot points here. I, I love the intro scene of the movie. It's about a three-minute um, just clips of news clips and breaking news stories. I love the little clip of the, the meteor that hit Russia a few years ago. Yeah. They use an actual clip and sort of put it into that context I enjoyed. But it was such a good way to go over the exposition of the story right, um, right off the top. You're, you're literally two and a half minutes in, and you know exactly who Tom Cruise's character is, exactly who Emily Blunt's character is, um, who these aliens are, how we're going to defeat them. Uh, and, and it's literally two minutes into the movie, and you know all of that. It was just um, – the setup was just perfect in this, um, I thought. Uh, what did you guys think about uh, the opening, the setup of the movie in general? Well, I, that's a really interesting premise because it, it brings this baggage of the fact that if you know anything about the premise of the movie, you instantly know that this is a guy who's going to be forced to relive the same day over and over again. Oh. And what I thought Edge did really well and, and took me off guard was I didn't mind having to sit through getting to the point where he was able to um, – can we, we can talk spoilers, I guess. We're talking openly sure, about – Sure, spoilers right now. Go ahead. I mean he, he dies in the battle and gets covered with that alien goo. I mean is that essentially, yeah. <laughs> that essentially what, what allows him to reset the day? Uh, it takes a while to get to that point and I didn't mind any of the point where we knew we had to sit through to get to that. And then even when all of the scenes where 
the character has to figure out what has happened to him. We already know that before the movie's even started. And none of that was not interesting. Um, it was always funny every time he got reintroduced to the platoon. You know, it, it's it's funny that the movie has to exist in an environment where we've all seen Groundhog Day. Right. And so we don't want to see a character have to go through the same setup of, hey, Ned, Ned. You know, like we get it. We know all that stuff was going to happen to this character. And Doug Lyman's force with the obstacle is still making that exciting and interesting to us. And I thought that that was something that the movie did that it was, the, the odds were stacked against it to make that stuff interesting. And it still was. And maybe just making Cruz's character this coward was enough to put me on a, a, you know, put me off guard and, and put enough of a spin on it that I was interested to see how this guy was going to try and warm himself out of it because he wasn't the, the prototypical Tom Cruise hero. Yeah. And that was a nice enough way into the storyline that it kept me interested. That's a great point, Sean, because that I, I was kind of, uh, I was watching and I don't remember ever having seen a Tom Cruise movie in which they used his uh, slight stature and just kind of general – I mean he's four foot seven and weighs, as we said, like 94 pounds. Like I mean it's – but he, anytime you see him in a movie, he – you know, they do everything they can to make him look so much bigger and more intimidating or whatnot. It was very interesting to get uh, a Tom Cruise character and movie where he's – I mean he is his height. He is his size. He is, you know, and using the coward bit and whatnot. That was a – I think you're right on. That was a really interesting way to kind of bring you got bring us into the story in a place where we might otherwise have just kind of checked out until we get to the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it's perfectly cast for him. He does a – his, his um, sense of humor comes through in this too. Um, he's He's got some really memorable comedic type roles, Jerry Maguire specifically – and, uh, of course, great sci-fi. And I've heard he has signed on for Mission Impossible 5, so that mm-hmm. comes to no surprise. Um, but comparing it to the stuff we've gotten last from him, mainly Oblivion, which I was probably a bigger fan of Oblivion than most people, uh, just the product from a production design standpoint. I thought that movie was freaking gorgeous. Um, but man, he's just so much better. It's like he's aged. It's like he's done 10 movies in between Oblivion and this. You mentioned Groundhog Day. Um, this movie reminded me a lot of Starship Troopers. Did you guys yeah. feel that way yeah, at all? Yeah, there was yeah. some definite Starship Troopers uh, influence there, I think. So if and when the Starship Troopers remake uh, gets made, uh, <laughs> they, they need to look at this as a reference because this got a lot of what they were trying to do with that. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. 
They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Right. Um, the aliens in this movie were really cool, I thought. Um, they moved extremely fast, which I thought was a really cool touch. You know, probably something they didn't have to do. Um, but it made it to where you don't have to focus on them and their design too much. They're just sort of a blur always. And it really gave it a sense of this is an enemy we can't defeat. You know, it gave a sense of risk to the movie. What did you guys think about the aliens themselves? Um, I mean, I haven't given a lot of thought to that. I mean, I, I, I think the focus of this is much more on, on the crews and they don't really create the, the huge dynamic scenes that a lot of these alien movies do with the aliens. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have some, you know, glimpses of them, but I, I mean, I, I, I they were, I didn't really try to think how to put this. I, they were fine, but I, I didn't, I don't think I would ever think about them really again after it. It was much more about the movie. What makes the movie good is much more about, it's much more micro movie than, oh, yeah. than normally yeah. these type of alien movies normally are. It was right. just, in my opinion, it was just refreshing to see a non-stereotypical alien creature in this, yeah. like the it's district nine, design. like, uh, just a guy with a gun type, type alien creature. Mm-hmm. It, it, it definitely felt like they needed these exoskeletons to defeat this enemy. Which was cool. How many more exoskeleton movies are we going to get, guys? <laughs> By the way, I know we are sort of stuck in this loop, aren't we? Yeah, it, it is time to start to distance ourselves from these familiar sci-fi premises because they are starting to stack up on top of each other. Yeah, and um, one other familiar thing: the hologram tables. Uh, how many since Avatar are we going to get? Where it's just great uh, hologram computers. And by the way, I loved Cruz's line after they show him that he goes. By the way, just want to say, great presentation. Yeah. Yeah. I laughed so, so hard funny. at that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, awesome. If a movie is going to reset how we think about aliens, is uh, Nolan's movie, Interstellar. Yes. And then everybody yeah. will just copy off of that for the next couple yeah. of years. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. But talking about the flashbacks and when he resets, I really appreciated that they didn't just show us the same. I mean, the first time he flashes back, it's sort of the same thing. Yes. Uh, it's the exact same footage almost, it seems like. But every other time besides that, they shoot it in a completely different way from a different angle, but it's the same thing. It's really inventive the way they shot it. And, um, it didn't, it made it not boring to me. Like Groundhog Day sort of, uh, falls into the category of let's just show the same scene over and over again with Bill Murray doing something different. This, uh, I liked how Cruz, you know, learned every time he died and, and changed. Like he was saving the guy from getting crushed by the ship and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, I thought that was a really fun way of, of making Cruz like in control. And he, he sort of builds his confidence through that ability and everything. 
Well, let's also let's also stop for a minute and talk about the great Bill Paxton because yes. Have, yes. as a tour guide through this, you know, unknowingly, I think gave the film a, a fantastic leg up. Exactly. I like Bill Paxton, Fort Worth native <laughs> and a local resident here. He's he's great. I I enjoy him in a lot of stuff. It sucks he hasn't done anything really since uh, what Twister. I mean, he did like what half. <laughs> He did Hatfields and McCoys, which is really cool, but that was a TV movie. Um, but man, cool to see him in a really memorable movie and a movie that I will watch again. You know, it, it didn't seem like we've gotten him uh, in, in that type of stuff over the past, what, 20 years, it seems like. So cool, cool use of him and great mustache, too. Absolutely awesome. Great <laughs> Kentucky accent, Bill. I know he listens every week. He has nothing, nothing else to do. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on the secondary characters? What did you guys think of Emily Blunt? Uh, she was great. I, I love Emily Blunt. I'm a huge, huge fan. Have been for a really long time. Um, and uh, she she played the so often. I just feel like this this sort of character, this uh, you know, this female superhero, awesome warrior, whatever you want to go with, just just becomes um, very grating and super super cliche almost almost all the time. You can kind of just uh, line up the notes ahead of time. This is exactly what's going to happen throughout. The, and and uh, she, I feel like, to the credit of of both director and and her, um, they avoided that sort of stuff uh, quite well. She was she's very good, very very good. And, I, and this is like a one. It's like well, probably like six steps up from Looper. Like we got the beginning yeah. stages of this with uh, with Looper, but she is great. And I I would. I'm almost more disappointed for her than I am for for Tom Cruise that this movie's not doing so well here because this could have been um, something that you know we hang our hats on as far as like oh Emily Blunt is a is a real true like female action star um, and I don't know that that's likely to happen given how poorly this is I, poorly is a strong word but it hasn't uh, played the way that we would have imagined it I think. Her and, uh, her and her husband have had the same problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. they've almost both broken out six times, but then, you know, that fracking movie right. that Krasinski did with Damon was supposed to be bang, and it kind of fizzled. And, yeah. Um, I, I thought Big Miracle and, was going to be the one for John, John Krasinski. <laughs> I just thought Drew Barrymore and him, they can just, <laughs> the stardom just shines in that one. But, um, Sean, any thoughts on, on Emily Blunt in, in this movie? No, I mean I love her, and I I hope that the industry continues to use her. I I, yeah. I love the fact that she has avoided being pigeonholed in one particular thing. Like yeah. her resume is kind of all over the place. She's done some period dramas. She she's not afraid of tackling sci-fi. You guys mentioned the Adjustment Bureau earlier. I think that's a, a really interesting movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Looper, I thought is a little bit overrated, but it still has some big ideas. And kudos to her for even trying that. Like she could very easily just fall into the romantic comedy lead where they're pairing her with Gerard Butler in some hack work. And she doesn't do that and hasn't been interested in doing that. So I think that's fantastic. Um, One of the things I think that edge does really well, and I didn't even realize it until it was over is that it avoids the need to, to, to hire and cast this quote unquote, like, Morgan Freeman role, you know, like yes. you see somebody on the screen and you just know because of who they are, they're going to factor in later. Like in this movie, it's Brendan Gleeson. And that's so great because he's such an under the radar character actor Yes, that, you know, he's important and he's probably going to factor in later, but it isn't like here's Gary Oldman and we're going to introduce <laughs> him early and you know, he's going to be huge, you know, in the third act. The movie just knows that it has a great enough idea and it has crews, you know, that it can just ride on that. 
because as much as I, I did like Oblivion too, but once they introduced Morgan Freeman as part of the marketing campaign, I was like, all right, well, let's just wait for the Morgan Freeman part. And, and too many movies, I think, do that, and Edge doesn't. Yeah, and there's a South Park bit where it's Morgan Freeman, and they talk about he's only in movies to explain the plot a lot of the times. Uh, <laughs> and doesn't that need a, a character? Like You would think that it needs a character like that to sort of spoon-feed everybody, but because yeah. it's a smart movie and it trusts itself, it doesn't give itself the Morgan Freeman character. Sort of the, the, um, the Q-type guy sort of plays that role, but not in a way that it's, it's so obvious that he's just going to explain – uh, exposition. The, you know who I'm talking about? The guy with the the displays and the one who talk, talks about um, the oh, Omega, yeah. locating yeah. the Omega. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Emily yeah. Blunt's uh, yeah. friend, I guess, or whatever. Like um, if that been Michael Caine, I'd have been disappointed. Yeah, yes. no, totally, totally. I love Michael Caine, but by just trusting some other decent character actor who doesn't, we're not distracted by his presence. Those scenes go down a lot easier. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the third act, guys. One issue with the third act. I saw this movie in 3D and it was it was really fun in 3D. I'm glad you mentioned that, Sean, because uh, I really enjoyed myself in 3D, especially the scenes where they're in the plane and the bottom drops out of the plane. Oh, those were great. Those were great in 3D, but very dark third act uh, when they get to Paris and they have to locate the Omega. Uh, quite dark, um, sort of hard to see the action there, for, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, I would have liked to see that scene in the daytime. I think it would have still worked, um, but I, I definitely see the need for a different type of setting uh, for the third act to make it distinct. Um, but Brian, Gil, let's start with you. What was your thoughts on the third act? I thought it was good. Um, I'll just jump straight ahead to the, the conclusion there. The third act was was really good. The action sequences were fun. Um, the, I felt like the, the, the conclusion was a little bit of a cop-out. Um, I don't have a suggestion of like this is how you should have ended it so i try not to complain unless i can say like this is what i would have done in his place but them all you know Cruz and and emily blunt and everybody else just being able to come back to life like two days earlier um seemed like a little bit of a eh, and a a, let's put a happy bow on this uh sort of ending that i wasn't super thrilled about but uh, it wasn't you know not something that made me hate the movie or anything like that but didn't I'm not sure that it quite fit with the the entire spectrum of the film. Like it kind of felt like this might be one of those movies where we don't have a super where where the happy ending is humans win, you know. Maybe not right. that our characters get to spend life together and whatnot. Sure. Uh Sean, thoughts on the third act? I didn't mind it at all while I was watching it and I've done a lot of research like reading into the uh, the initial ending of the book that this is based on and you know could it have been better sure there's always ways to sort of tinker if things don't work for you um i didn't mind that they gave the characters a happy ending and everyone's like well how was he able to reset the day you know if he got the blood transfusion yeah lost that ability but you know nobody knows what the what killing the omega does to a person you know right that was my interpretation yeah yeah sure and and all of that when when we're into heady sci-fi and we're talking about futuristic possibilities i i I think that the screenwriters have a little bit more leeway to write something like that into it and it doesn't feel so bogus to me um i thought that this movie more than more than any of the other ones prior to it something like a godzilla where we're we're cheering this monster you know with a weird shift in tone with you know you know patriotic music telling us that we should you know root for this monster that just destroyed san francisco and i didn't feel like we needed to i thought this movie earned its happy ending you know it it put these characters through the ringer 
And you wanted them to sort of end up together. I did necessarily. I wanted them to somewhat end up together, although they're an odd romantic pair. And I'm glad the movie didn't really force that issue entirely. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if, if you'd killed character Cruz's character off, I would have been disappointed and, and maybe I wouldn't have been as happy with that ending. Um, I, I was cool with the happy end. My thoughts, I didn't. I didn't really understand uh, how he he reset at the end. Um, did you find any in your research, Sean? Did you find any like logical explanations for that? Like, I couldn't tell if it was because a the blood transfusion doesn't really negate your ability to reset, or b if when when the uh, omega blew up, the goo then transformed onto his body or transferred onto his body and uh, gave him the. Gave him the ability to reset again. Does that yeah, make sense? That's basically what it was. The act of destroying the Omega gave him the power to reset again. Now, I don't know if that means that he, you know, as the movie ends and, and whatever happens after the end credits, he still has that power. Um, and if you ask the filmmakers, they would probably be like, uh, yeah, sure he does. You know, like they don't really want to answer that either. It, it definitely there's a lot of unanswered questions by the end. They just wanted to get you to a point where he was able to reset the day. Yeah. Um Richard Barton, I know you're a fan or very critical of typical third acts. Uh, how did this <laughs> fare in your opinion? Well, the ones I get to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I just want, I, I was totally fine with the happy ending. You know, I'm, I'm a sucker sometimes for a good kind of wrap everything up. Sometimes I think that's certainly an art uh, to pull that off without being cheesy. I didn't cringe either. Kind of like Sean, I've read some things since that have been critical of it and I've agreed with them. But while watching it, I was totally fine with it. Yeah. I just thought the setup at the end was was fine. Um, they didn't. They set it up for a sequel. Obviously, they say I think it's we are on our way to defeating this enemy or something like that. They don't say okay, we the humans won. Earth is fine, you know. Uh, so uh, doubt will it get a sequel? Maybe it'll do way better than people thought in week two. We'll we'll have to see. Um, has but, done well internationally. We should. Yeah, it has. It really has. Tom Cruise just does great internationally, yeah. no matter yeah. what it is, really. Uh, but let's talk about why it didn't work, uh, why we think it didn't work in the U.S. box office. I put Tom Cruise into the same category of Will Smith at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, what the heck is going on? I, I thought these guys were huge movie stars, and everyone knows and thinks they're huge movie stars. Why don't their movies make money? Uh, I, I, I think After Earth had its problems, but you would think just from the Will Smith factor and people who don't read reviews and don't really care who M. Night Shyamalan is – would go see that the first weekend, and uh, what it, made, it flopped huge. It flopped worse than this, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but Sean, what do you what do you think uh, is is wrong with Cruise right now? I, I think part of it is Cruise. I think part of it is science fiction. Also, mm. um, we've had a lot of examples of sci-fi. Uh, Elysium didn't do what people yeah. thought it might do. Uh, Ender's Game went after a younger audience and didn't connect. I mean, when you yeah. talk about Will Smith, After Earth is still sci-fi and. Cruise tried with Oblivion. It didn't connect. And, and unless it has Star Trek or Star Wars in it, mm-hmm. uh, I think that sci-fi tends to turn off a larger audience who right now would much rather watch three superhero movies in a row than be challenged by something intelligent and thought-provoking uh, and, and emotional like science fiction has been lately. Yeah. Yeah, that explains the the lack of love for transcendence too. That That's more of a – Hey, you're going to sit here and think about uh, the the possibilities of our future technology for two hours or whatever. Too uh, many movies are just you know aiming big and whiffing hard. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just it's dumbfounding to me. Brian, what do you think about uh, Cruz's lack of ability to draw an audience now? 
Because he'll yeah. do anything. Well, he will. It's not. It's not him, and it's not. Well, th- there's parts of it that are probably him or Will Smith or whoever else. But um, it's. We've talked before, as a country, and this doesn't. This doesn't uh, hold true for overseas because if you're Tom Cruise or Will Smith or Brad Pitt or whatever, whatever movie you put out, people are going to go see because of you. Um, you know, take for example the uh, the infamous Twelve Years a Slave poster with with uh, Brad Pitt on the on the cover. You yeah. know, uh, so prominently featured in like Italy or wherever it was. No, uh, we do. We are exiting the phase of uh, this is my opinion, but. Exiting the phase of movie going that uh, favors the movie star. We don't care so much about who's in the movie as we do about the property. And that's that's a both a a symptom and the the cause of sequelitis and uh, remakes and stuff like that. You know, the movies, generally speaking, the movies that are going to make the most money are going to be the ones that are – it's the third in a series or it's based on a property that we all know a whole lot about. If you can get a movie star to be in that, great. Then you have Iron Man you know, or whatever other movie you want to think of. That's, that's fantastic. But um, I think as a general rule, less and less people go to see a movie uh, because of who is in the movie rather than – what the movie is and when you add in just let sean said we add in it's going to be sci-fi and it's going to be kind of a a challenge um at least intellectually that doesn't really interest a a great number of uh a great number of people i also don't think the marketing campaign was particularly great for this i had i knew a lot of people who were kind of confused i don't i wasn't and i i don't i don't necessarily see why that is so much but i i know a lot of people who were kind of confused over what was happening and uh or it just turned them off in some way or another but uh, you know i think it's just a a kind of a uh combination of a lot of factors that played into making this not super successful here yeah thankfully successful overseas sure the um the original title of this movie was all you need is kill which is the title of the book uh clearly named it edge of tomorrow for box office reasons uh no telling how bad this would have done if it was called all you need is kill yeah. Uh, probably would have made half of what it did. Richard, any other thoughts, uh, specific thoughts on Tom Cruise um, and his career uh, before we go to Weekly Recommends? No, I think Brian's dead on. I think you know we enter an era where Tom Cruise is no longer a movie star, but Ethan Hunt is. Yeah. Right? And yes. so you count on these uh, certain properties, but not so much the movie star anymore. And I think a lot of that ha- has to do with Marvel. Um, you know, Sean was talking earlier. You look at someone's like Hemsworth who had some success with Rush, but it certainly wasn't a smash. Um, or you look at someone like Chris Evans who hasn't done really anything since Captain America, aside from Avengers. Um, you know, they're, they're movie stars, but they're movie stars as Captain America and Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not so much, you know, outside of that. So, but gone is the day of the Mel Gibson's, the Bruce Willis's, sure. the Arnold Schwarzenegger's. Yes. Where you know nobody knew what the hell Commando was, but no, we right. because it was Schwarzenegger. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Agreed. And Schwarzenegger's definitely done too. I think Sabotage was his worst yeah. theatrical movie of all time. That, so that's it's very interesting. This is probably a topic for later this summer, but the difference between Stallone and Schwarzenegger in 2014 is pretty interesting to me because I think it was I think it was the exact opposite uh, when when we were kids. It was Schwarzenegger first, and then Stallone, and now it is flipped completely. I don't think anybody goes to see a movie B 
because of Schwarzenegger anymore. Or, or the crowd that does is very, very small. Well, and the industry didn't groom anybody to replace those guys. Yeah. Like, I think Hugh Jackman is a huge star, but I don't know mm-hmm. if Hugh Jackman could open a movie. And that's crazy to say. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And we'll see with Chris Evans here. uh, Snowpiercer is coming out later this year, um, (laughs) starring him. And the trailer looks really interesting. Um, It's definitely sort of science fiction-y, dystopian future-y. So we'll see how that does. And um, But guys, let's give grades for Edge of Tomorrow before we move on. Uh, Brian Gill. Uh, Man, I hadn't even thought about it. I usually have written a review before we get to this point. Um, I'll go A-. minus. I'm going to go solid A. Richard? Right. I'm going to go solid A as well. Sean, a grade for Edge of Tomorrow, if you were to guess. I'm going A-. minus. Uh, I thought it delivered everything that a popcorn thriller needs to do, but if I were putting together a top ten list of the year, I don't know where it would land. Probably somewhere near ten, and I wonder if it will still be there at the end of the year. Yeah. Sure. Uh, before we move on, Sean, uh, what, what were your other favorite movies that you've seen this year so far? Oh, my gosh. Um one that's coming out or opening a little bit wider uh, called Boyhood, the Richard Linklater movie. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. we're super stoked for that one. Can't Try and wrap that. your brain around the premise of how he shot that movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. shot it, you know, uh, over the course of a couple of weeks, every twelve, every year for twelve years, and yeah. <laughs> and kept. It's, it's kept amazing. That guy. Um, it is. It doesn't really tell one large overreaching story, but it just keeps punching in with these characters and checking in with how their life has evolved over the course of 12 years. And it is, it is fascinating. Um, and something you can go see right now. I'm still a big fan of John Favreau's movie chef, uh, yes. he, which is just this odd meta weird movie about like his reaction to critical response to Cowboys versus aliens. Yes. I mean, you completely read the movie on that level, but it's also one of the best food and cooking movies that I've seen probably in my lifetime. Do not go to that movie hungry because it's just going <laughs> to start. Yeah. No, we, yeah, we talked we about did it last that week. One last, uh, yeah. We did that one last week. And I said, I, I went out immediately after the movie and spent like $300 at central market, you know, which all this food that's still just sitting in my kitchen, it, but it's uh, such a fun movie too. He's got such a great ensemble in that. Dustin Hoffman steals mm-hmm. the show in that movie. Um, it's, it's a great return to form for Favreau. I was really happy for him. Yeah, American treasure, Dustin Hoffman, by the way. All right, guys, let's move on, and let's do Weekly Recommends. Weekly Recommends. Okay, Brian Gill, kick us off. Yeah, I'm going to – I have been super swamped at work, and I haven't really had time to watch anything too much this week. Um, But uh, one of my – and I apologize if we've recommended this before, but I think – Maybe the best 30 for 30 just hit Netflix the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's on the bad boys, the De- Detroit Pistons of the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and it's just it's so stinking good. And it will, uh, if you're a sports fan, if you're a basketball fan, obviously we've recommended 30, 30 for 30 films many times in the past. Um, this one really might be my, my favorite. And uh, you get a great glimpse into a really hardcore uh physical basketball of that time period which which I'm a huge fan of and uh, it's a I think it's a, a great compliment to all involved that uh, and it kind of tells about how great uh, those films are because it kind of made me feel for some members of the uh, the bad boys Detroit Pistons which I didn't think was possible up until this point because you, you know you just I just hate them so much and have just ingrained hatred 
Um, but by the end of the film, I was I was uh, I was I was feeling a little sympathy for at least for like Joe Dumars and maybe Isaiah, not not Bill and Beer, obviously, but uh, <laughs> some of those guys. Anyway, it's a it's a really good one, and it's I one of my favorites. I would definitely uh, recommend giving that a chance. And I was gonna say too, um, I haven't seen this movie probably since it was in the theater, so it may not hold up at all. So, I, but we were talking about Emily Blunt. Um, there's a little movie called Sunshine Cleaning that she was in with uh, Amy Adams. Um, I was the probably not the first movie that I saw her in, but the first movie that I really recognized and, and um, appreciated her in. And she has a couple of scenes in that movie that still that movie came out in 2008. Um, so still six years later, whatever, uh, stick with me. Um, and it's it's mostly her. Uh, so like I said, I don't know if it holds up or not, but if you're, uh, if you're just kind of discovering Emily Blunt over the last couple of years with Looper and then with this movie, um, that's a totally different type of film, but one that I, I would, I would recommend kind of go back and, and, uh, and get a glimpse of her in, in a more dramatic, uh, smaller role. Yeah. Cool. Good recommend, Brian. And I will also recommend, um, not my official weekly recommend, but I'll, I will second that the bad boys and also check out the fab four too. Which is, or the Fab Five, excuse Fab me. Fab Five, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is on Netflix about the Michigan uh, basketball team with uh, Juwan Howard, Jalen Rose, et cetera. Great, great documentary as well in, yeah. that, in that same vein. Um, but I want to recommend this week a movie that, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen it, um, there's no excuse really. Uh, this, <laughs> this past weekend was uh, the anniversary of D Day. Uh, 70th anniversary, and I want to recommend officially Saving Private Ryan, yeah. the uh, Steven Spielberg film. Uh, it's not a movie that I get out and watch every week or something like that. <laughs> right. um, I revisit it every couple years, three, four years or so. But every time I do, I'm just completely mesmerized, blown away by what a cinematic achievement it is and how realistic it is and how it's a film that doesn't glamorize war some like despite apocalypse now um and um well like full metal jacket there they definitely show some darker sides of that but near the end especially full metal jacket you're like dude i really i could i really want to join the military someday you know <laughs> those dudes are are freaking tough as nails uh this movie is the complete opposite it makes you feel like i would never even want to think about joining the army and you just can't believe that that actually happened and uh, how accurate it is is amazing. Like people that were there were yeah. just like, "This is the closest thing I've seen in my life to a, an accurate depiction of what it was like to be there." Um, just uh, an absolute masterpiece of a movie. Uh, it, it's very long, so don't try to knock it out in two hours or pause it and come back. It's one you need to do in one sitting. And um, it might, in my opinion, be the best Spielberg film. I know that's a bold statement, but um, it, it's often the most overlooked. But as far as historical and cinematic significance, um, it's an incredible movie. It just yeah. absolutely is. Um, so that would be my recommend, Saving Private Ryan. Great recommend, Ken. That's, one of my, that's probably one of my ten favorite uh, movies of all time. Fant just a fantastic movie. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, Richard, we could recommend. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys know what I'm going to recommend. Excited. Favorite musician. <laughs> new album out today. Uh, the new Jack White album is out. Uh, I've listened to it all all day today. It's very good. I won't go on, uh, but if you like rock and roll and a little bit of country um, in this in this time, that's kind of hard to find. At least kind of decently authentic things. Um, you can kind of look behind all the gimmickry and things like that that he has going on. He, he really is an exceptional songwriter, and uh, and I think uh, the album is is immaculately recorded and just sounds fantastic. And uh, couldn't recommend it higher. So uh, Jack White Lazaretto. 
Yeah, and it's funny because you the best thing to ever happen to Jack White was the White Stripes breaking up. <laughs> oh, I disagree. Dude, I, you and I, I will always yeah. differ on that. Dude, yeah. he, he became the songwriter he was meant to be uh, with Blunderbuss and now Lazaretto. Like, it's just night and day, in my opinion. He has some classics, of course, with the White Stripes and had some had some good stuff. But Meg White only held him back, I felt like. Uh, she, she never could have done Lazaretto. It would have taken him eight years to record that record with, with Meg White. Um, the drummer, I don't know who his drummer is now, but he, he or she absolutely freaking shreds on, mm. on that single, the especially. on this album are awesome. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, Sean, we can recommend. My wife is a big fan of Orange is the New Black. Okay. And so the second season dropped and she has been binge watching it. Um, I, I, I tried to watch it, but I couldn't get into it. So it allowed me to go over to our TV and go through the DVR. And I realized that I, we'd been DVRing the latest season of 24. Uh-huh. Ah. And I set it up to record it just because I was kind of interested with the London setting. And I hadn't really watched a ton of 24 and it's been off for a while. This new season is just great. Um, and yeah. it's it's a really nice reminder of what that show can do when it's laser focused. Yes. Uh, I don't think they're going to do 24 episodes. I think they're only doing 12. Yeah, uh, it's 12. Yeah. That, that's brilliant. You know, just because, you, you, you know, you're locked into the name of the show, but but the concept still works. Right. And it like, I guess, I guess because I hadn't watched it in a while. It's very funny that like every episode, there's something major that's going to happen and it, it's going to happen in like 50 minutes. They're like, we can run this program. It's going to take about 50 minutes, get the information. <laughs> and, and it's so fun to watch. Like my favorite movie of all time is Die Hard. And uh-huh. it breaks my heart to see how far Bruce Willis has come <laughs> from the John McClane character. <laughs> Keeper Sutherland just keeps remembering like what we like about Jack Bauer. And it's, it's so much fun to see him play the part and never really waver from all the things that we like about him in that role. Uh, and so it's refreshing and it's a nice reminder that, you know, yes, it's another example of like a franchise where a lot of our movie series are locked into right now. But if you let something go away for a little while, we, we miss it and we do want to see it come back. And when it comes back and it's good, uh, it's easy to love again. And so I've been really loving this latest season of 24. It's been gonzo crazy, like in all the right, in all the right ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, without giving any spoilers, if you haven't watched it, like there's a scene where he just, the Jack Bauer needs to get into an embassy and he just starts shooting innocent people in the leg to create a diversion. And I'm <laughs> yes. like, this is so awesome. Like, because that's what he would do. And it's, yeah. uh, I love that the producers are just, you know, turning him loose and Keith, Keith Sutherland's on board completely with what they're trying to do. So uh, nice return to form for that show. Didn't think I would like it as much as I did, but I'm thoroughly enjoying burning through it on DVR. Awesome. Brian, can you second that? You've seen oh, it. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm too behind now uh, again, because of work this, this last week and a half, but uh, you know, I, I was a, I've been a 24 fan pretty much the whole ride uh, that it was on originally. And uh, I'd kind of forgotten that people, especially critics didn't care for the last like two or three seasons of that show. Mm -hmm. Um, and I went back and watched and I love them and I still do. And the reason is pretty much, I'll just play off what you mentioned, Sean, like Jack Bauer is awesome. And there's no, (laughs) like, I mean, it's just, there's no containing his, his greatness, even when the show is a little bit off or, you know, well, we haven't found a mole yet. So, you know, that's going to come up in the next couple of episodes, you know, things like that. Um, and it, and it definitely stalled out trying to do the 24 episode bit, but every time Jack Bauer is on screen, 
you just get like pumped up. Like your heart starts racing just a little, you get a little adrenaline shot and you're just like, you're, you're ready to go. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, th- this new season has been, uh, it's been so nice to get back to, uh, get back to Jack Bauer. Uh, I- I'm loving it. There's, there's something about his voice. And yes. Keeper Sutherland just talking in a normal interview is not interesting yeah. to me, but anything yeah. Jack Bauer says, the way he delivers it, <laughs> I want everybody to talk like Jack Bauer always, constantly. Yeah. I was just saying, he's sh- one of the great voices of all time. Like he's he's doing uh, some tequila commercials now, and I don't drink, but that it makes me want to buy lots of tequila. <laughs> so just his voice, it's so cool. I haven't paid attention to TV ratings. I have no idea. Um, you know, I don't know. They they keep saying they want to do it as a movie. Um, I don't know if if Fox needs it to do very well, and I also think it's hard. It's so hard nowadays to keep track of ratings because of everybody watching sure. things on DVR and streaming things, and that's such a messy sort of algorithm to get into. But yeah. I'm enjoying it, so do more of them. Great. Good recommend. I'll definitely need to check that out. I have no excuse at this point uh, with, with Brian talking it up so much on the pod. Um, but uh, Sean O'Connell, let me ask you this. Where can we find you on the internet? I am uh, at cinemablend.com, where I am the movie content director. Uh, I'm very active on Twitter, uh, Sean underscore O'Connell. It's S-E-A-N underscore O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L. And you can also read my stuff uh, less and less on Fandango and Washington Post. I still do a few things for them, but uh, primarily all my resources are being poured into the great site Cinemablend. So keep checking us out there. Great. Yeah, I just want to uh, second that and say cinema blend is an awesome site if you're into movie news rumors rumblings especially uh they got it all covered and uh definitely one of the better if not the best um site in that regard on the internet uh the design is great too thank you Uh, so so props on that definitely easy to navigate and everything and uh really cool site you guys really good stuff you guys are doing over there um appreciate that thanks for reading us and thanks for having me on too i really appreciate this no totally brian where can we find you on the internet yeah, you can find me on Twitter at bgill12. You can find my writing at canbabiesdrinkredbull.com. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden, or you can find me here on this podcast. Kent, where can you find me? Where can I find you, rather? You can find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison, and you can find me also on this podcast and find all of our episodes online on iTunes or at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Go there for our weekly recommends. Go there for our list of American treasures. And if you want to contact our show, head over to the website and click contact, and it goes straight to us. Uh, Sean, once again, thank you for being here, and you, of course, are welcome back anytime. This was a ton of fun, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we had a good movie to talk about. Absolutely. And um, on that note, until next time, we will see you at the cinema. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.